0: The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you that wherever you are, that you now prepare yourself for the time spent in the teaching of God's Word. I will first be in Matthew 16 before proceeding over to Hebrews chapter 10. So if you want to find your place in your Bible as you are preparing, I have prayed much for this day and for this message and for you. So let me do that again in this moment. Let's pray. Father, we have sung to you today from your word the incredible, powerful truths that you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three, yet one. We have acknowledged that you are our King. We have acknowledged that you alone are our savior and through your blood alone, we have a new and living way in which we come. And we have acknowledged that all of this is by your grace, that there is nothing that we can earn or deserve. So Lord, I pray now that as we sing together in this crucial hour, that we would seek wisdom that is from above, wisdom that it is according to your word. I pray for my own heart and for all who are listening, that you would keep us from our flesh, that you would guard our minds and our hearts in Christ Jesus, and that you would give us clarity today. We plead in the name of Christ. Amen. My subject today is the necessity of gathering. Let me make a few comments before I get, begin or disclaimers. My goal today is to not, get, not to get you to come to this location. I have absolutely no intention to put anyone in harm's way. I am not being cavalier today in what I am about to share with you. I am not seeking to make a political statement. And to that end, let me say that no one has my permission or the permission of Parkwood Baptist Church to use a portion of this sermon for a soundbite. If the sermon is to be played, it is to be played in its entirety. I am not motivated by money. Parkwood has been extremely generous over the past seven weeks. I believe in the autonomy of the local church, that every church will have to come to their own conclusions based on their own convictions and what I'm going to share today. I am seeking to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and a shepherd of the flock of God called Parkwood. I am joined today by elders and pastors and families who are with me in this room. We share this together. The purpose of this sermon is twofold. It is first to explain a theology of gathering, and second to make application of the teachings of Scripture to our current situation. Here is my main idea. The essence of the church and the teachings of Scripture dictate the necessity of the gathering of a local body of believers. First, the necessity of gathering is the essence of the church. I bring you now to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is gathered with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. He asks his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is. In verse 16, Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you to focus with me on the word church. It's a word that we take for granted. For most of us, it conjures up an image of a building, a place where people go, or a thing that you refer to as the place you go to on Sunday. I'm going to church. Jesus chose this word. This is the first time it appears in the New Testament. It is from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. Now, you would have thought if Jesus was going to use a word for gathering, he would have said, as a Jewish man, I will build my synagogue which also has meaning of gathering but Jesus chose a very specific word ecclesia ecclesia means assembling or gathering has to do with being like-minded it has to do with sharing something in common so why in this moment would Jesus use this word ecclesia which at that point in time had a political overtone to it. Why would Jesus say this? So hear me carefully. It has everything to do with Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What Peter was saying is, you are the king. You are the one that we have been looking for on I don't know what date, but several years ago, I preached a sermon on Matthew 16. I said this exactly as I'm going to say it now. Quote, Peter was saying, you are the one who has come to save his people. I'm quoting Dale Frederick Bruner. When we say Christ, we should think king. We... Are the king's blood bought people. He has purchased us with his own blood, which we have sang on. So when we gather together, we are coming together to say, Jesus is our king. And when we gather, something unique happens. Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus is explaining how this gathering can function as a, a deliberative body, he says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. In my name, what did Jesus mean by that? He meant in the name of the king, realizing we're saying we come realizing that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that he is the Son of the living God. Now hear me carefully. Jesus promises through the work of the Spirit that he will never leave or forsake his people. Wherever we go as God's people individually, he is with us. But he is saying something very unique here. He is saying that when two or three gather in his name, he is uniquely with them. As they come together, acknowledging him as king, to worship him in spirit and in truth. So when we gather in the name of our king, it is the very essence of who we are, the church, the ecclesia. Now, Proceeding to Hebrews 10. The necessity of gathering is clearly taught in Scripture. Now I could give a more exhaustive theological explanation of gathering today. I'm choosing a few very specific texts. First Hebrews 10, therefore brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, That he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, so since these things are true, there's three let us. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now let's just think about a few few of the major theological principles that are taught here. We cannot gather in his name apart from Christ's blood-purchased access, which is new and it is living. It's never going to die. He opened the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We did not do anything to cause it or to earn it. Christ accomplished it on our behalf. We trust him by faith. We do not need a human priest to come to God. We have a great high priest over the house of God who is Jesus Christ himself. Now in our culture, which influences us in so many ways, now listen very carefully, my my words are very specific here. Many will only see that I have access to the holy place by the blood of Jesus, that I can worship him at any time, wherever I am. Listen carefully to what I'm going to say next. That's true, but that is incomplete. The writer of Hebrews knew that these people would be prone to make such a conclusion. He knew that we would be prone to make such a conclusion. So the writer of Hebrews calls the people of God to recognize that we are a part of the body of Christ. Notice, he does not say, let you individually draw near or let you individually hold fast or let you individually consider how to stir yourself up to love and good deeds. He says us. He's speaking to the body. So when we draw near, we draw near together. Yes, we can individually, but we also draw near together in full assurance of faith. We draw near holding fast the confession. It's one thing to sing that Trinitarian song at the beginning of the service by yourself. It is another thing to sing that with a room full of people who are making the same confession at the same time. And he says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So, how do you do that? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, we got to go back to the original audience and understand what was going on with these Hebrew Christians. They were suffering for their faith. In fact, Many of them, we don't know how many, were in jail because of it. They knew that if they gathered, it would cost them. The writer of Hebrews knew if they gathered, it would cost them. And he says, don't neglect to meet together. Why? Because your faith and our faith needs one another in the body of Christ. In other words, I will neglect love and good works. I will become discouraged. I will grow weary without you. And the same is true of your heart. So we do not neglect. We don't turn aside. We don't make it a habit. I was, on a, I was on a call. I'm tired of Zoom calls too. I was on a Zoom call with pastors from all over the country. And to my horror, one of them said, we have discovered we can reach more people online and we are seriously considering changing how we do church. What? Brothers and sisters, what we are doing is virtual right now. Yes, you can be impacted by what I'm saying, but it is not the same as when we are together. God never commanded his people to meet virtually. This cannot become a habit. It cannot become a long-term issue for us. Dr. John Hammett, who is a professor at Southeastern Seminary, wrote in his work on theology about the church, quote, for 20 centuries, most of those who have come to know the true and living God have done so through some form of church ministry. Virtually all Christians have lived out their Christian lives in connection with some form of the church. That is why Hebrews 10, 25 admonishes Christians to not give up meeting together. They need the church. It is vitally, not virtually, it is vitally important to them. So I have another question. What are the core functions when we gather? How is it that we stir each other up? Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we have the record of what transpired once the church was formed as the Holy Spirit descended on her at the day of Pentecost. Right away, we find these things. They devoted themselves, verse 42 of chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of And to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as he had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So you see them coming in mass together, and you see them gathering in homes together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved." That's a very straightforward text, and I'm not going to take the time to it through all of it. Let's now turn to Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul is instructing the church at Colossae how they are—what they are to do together. First, he tells them how to treat each other, and then he tells them how they are to function together. He says in verse 15, "...let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts." He's king. So let the the peace of the king rule in your heart. To indeed which you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Simply say it this way. We're to have word-centered gatherings. There's to be teaching and admonishing. Explanation of God's word and admonishing. And this, this is one of those two-sided words in the Bible, which means to encourage and it also means to warn. And those two things can come hand in hand. So how is it that we teach and admonish? We preach the word of God. Now here's a place where you cannot soundbite me, <laughs> even in your own mind. Now listen carefully. I am teaching you from the Bible today. I'm not preaching. And here's my argument. Preaching requires an audience. Whether you know it or not, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the manner and the way that I preach and the way that I carry through a sermon is a two-sided relationship with you. In other words... You've all been here when it goes dead quiet in the room. You've all been here when people start fidgeting because they don't like what's being said. We've all heard the amen when we're in agreement. I don't know if you're amen in me right now. I don't know if you're resisting me right now. I don't know if you've got up and got two, three cups of coffee while I'm preaching, which I would have rebuked you for had you been sitting here. So preaching requires a live audience between us. It is a live event. Now, listen very carefully before you write me an email. The word of the Lord will never return void. It will do its work. But preaching is something unique that God's church shares together. Then there is the singing of the word. Now, you can sing at home. Some of you have and some of you have not. But what this is saying here, and really it's centered around this, that the teaching and admonishing is around the singing of the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts toward God. We're not just instructed. We're not just just encouraged or admonished through the teaching and preaching of God's Word. We're admonished through the singing of God's Word. It encourages our hearts and reminds us. Jonathan Lehman, in his book, Word-Centered Church, said this simple sentence, the Word gathers the church so the church gathers for the Word. The Word gathers the church and so the church gathers for the Word. One final question here. What is the goal of our gathering? Ultimately why do we come together? Why do you come? Is it so you can get your felt needs met? That's secondary. Here's what's primary. Verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of the King giving thanks to God the Father through him. Over in First Peter, Peter says, And each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So we gather to glorify Jesus Christ, to honor our King. Now, these truths that we have discussed today are timeless, and they have been heeded by the church since the church's inception. So they don't become more relevant today than they have ever been. They are relevant, and they will be relevant to the church until Jesus comes. Here's the question I've been asking now for weeks. How do we seek to apply this during the midst of this confusing situation related to COVID-19? So the questions I'm about to ask and answer have been labored over by me personally now for weeks and by our elders for weeks. These are no light matters as to what I'm going to say. This is really a so-what moment. Question number one. Why did we decide to refrain, to begin refraining from gathering on March the 15th? It's for three reasons. Number one, for the sake of individuals. Number two, for the sake of the congregation. And number three, for the sake of the community. In other words, and what we understood at that moment that this virus was so contagious and so deadly that we assumed and believed that many of you were going to get it and some of you were going to die. The conversation the first week was not just we, don't, we need to refrain from gathering. Here was the conversation. How are we going to minister to families who get COVID-19 and, more specifically, how are we going to minister to those who come to the end of their life, and how are we going to minister to people who lose their life? Next, we didn't want to make our we didn't want to be the point of outbreak for our community. So we made the decision to refrain, listen very carefully, before we were told we had to. Second question. Going forward is our goal or responsibility to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 or to prevent the spread of COVID-19? Now, I'm, I'm not trying to use words as a game here, but this is a crucial question. I ask you to pray for me Monday. The day of prayer I took was really around this subject that we're talking about today. And during the day of prayer, this question came to my mind very clearly. Because I think some of us believe our responsibility is to prevent it. To prevent means to stop. When really our question ought to be to mitigate. To mitigate means to make less severe, to do all you can to, to, to lower the risk and the spread of COVID-19, or any disease for that matter. Now hear me. Most of us are living lives of mitigation. Few of you listening to me right now have been in total isolation for seven weeks. Our manner of living going forward until there is a vaccine, which is going to be a long time away, our manner of living going forward in the world, not just in Gastonia, In the world is going to require living in mitigation. So, then here's my sub question of that Can we gather in such a manner as to mitigate the spread of COVID 19? So, here's what we've worked on. If you could see in this room right now, half of the chairs have been removed. Not so that half of you can come here. We believe that through social distancing, the rows are social distance, and if we place three chairs between every household, we can get around 250 people in here, or one fourth of our capacity. We know that we can open every door to where you can enter into this worship center without touching any hard surface unless you went to the bathroom and touched. The spigot. That would be the only thing you'd have to touch. Some of you would not want to do this, but we must. We think we can gather here by wearing masks, because here's the research. When everybody's wearing a mask, the, the, the spread rate reduces greatly. Everybody, not just somebody, everybody. And I'm not going to get into the, the specifics of it, but when it works is when everybody. Some of you are really not going to like what I say next. If we take your temperature before you walk in here, and we know for a fact you're not sick. If we clean between every service. If we do not at this time provide child care, because we don't know how to do it and keep everyone in a social distancing way. We think if we can do those things, we can move forward. But there's a bigger question. In light of current information, what we know is going on in our world, what we know is going on in our community, what I just shared with you, in light of current information, if we continue to refrain from providing the opportunity for gathering, are we neglecting to meet together? Now hear that question that is very specifically written. If we continue to refrain from providing the opportunity for gathering, are we neglecting to meet together? So I want everybody to hear me, I'm not making anybody do anything. I'll come back and address this in a moment. No one, no one's being forced to do one thing. Now today I am addressing the members of Parkwood Baptist Church. What I am saying is not a universal statement for dealing with COVID-19. If we were a local church in the heart of New York City, I would say the answer to my question is we continue to refrain. But for us, in light of current information, If we continue to refrain from providing the opportunity for gathering, are we neglecting to meet together? And the answer of our elders is yes. That if we continue to refrain from providing the opportunity for the church together, we are neglecting to meet. Regularly, we are asked by people and told by people that they are ready to resume. So as of Earlier or late last week, we have said, we encourage your growth group to begin meeting as soon as possible. Again, nobody's going to be forced. Nobody's going to have to do it. But if members of the group want to gather for the sake of prayer and encouragement and time in the Word, then by all means, gather. There has been information sent out to growth group leaders as to how to do that. As to gathering for worship. We plan to gather in May. Here's all I can say to you today. We are not ready for next Sunday. Here's why. We don't have all of the means of mitigation in place. As soon as we can accomplish all the means of mitigation, and hear me on this, we're not just a bunch of elders and pastors sitting around coming up with ideas. We are consulting healthcare people. We're talking to others. We're not just coming up with our things on our own when we know that we have all the means of reasonable mitigation in place, we will offer the opportunity for Parkwood to begin to gather again. Now we've been working on this decision for weeks. We have not come to this in a rash manner. We come prayerfully and soberly, and we will continue to proceed in that manner. So here's the question that I know I'm going to be asked, so let me ask and answer it. How about the law in Romans 13? You're asking the question the wrong way. Do we, the church, obey the government in matters that are contrary to what is clearly taught in Scripture? That's the question you need to ask. We can and we have reasonably cooperated, but we cannot unquestionably obey. As followers of Christ, who are we to obey? In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John were brought to the Sanhedrin, a legal body. And they were set before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. To which I also hear some of you saying this, well, we're to love our neighbor. Don't forget the whole commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. Many of you were impacted by an illustration I used on the very first Sunday this hit. I conclude with just as much conviction in which I read it seven weeks ago. Martin Luther. I shall ask God to mercifully protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as the result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. And I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person. I shall go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. Let's pray. Lord, we will need your wisdom going forward. We have sought your wisdom to this moment. Your people will need your wisdom. So God, I pray for them. I pray for those that are upset right now, that they would give themselves the time to reflect over your word. I pray for those that are afraid. I pray that you would help them. Lord, I pray for those that know because of their current health situation, they need not gather here. I pray you give them wisdom. Lord, what I have sought to share here today and what we shared requires the leadership of the Spirit in all of our lives. And I pray that you would grant it to us. And just as our children today in Gospel Project are considering the armor of God, Lord, I pray that we'd recognize we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities that we would put on the full armor of God, that we would pray, and that we would be bold. And that for the sake of Christ. Now, Lord, take this message and take this song we're about to sing and minister to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.